The Elf Service A Story for Christmas Written by Tobias Sturt And read by John Millington Episode 12 Over? Walter Burns, editor of the Argus, threw a copy of that morning's edition on his desk with a slap like a dead fish hitting a slab. It's on every front page in this city, and you tell me it's over? The editor of the Argus was not happy, but then he was never happier than when he wasn't happy. Running a paper was his livelihood, but complaining about it was his passion, his calling. No one could rail and rant like Walter Burns. A whole lifetime of composing headlines had given him a talent for explosive and exhilarating expostulations. The only reason he worked late, staff suspected, was that Mrs Burns wouldn't allow shouting in the house, so he had to get his daily quota done in the office. A Santa building? A copy of the Post followed the copy of the Argus. Family reunions? A copy of the Courier slammed down. Over, is it? The copy of the telegram hit the desk so hard it bounced up and smacked Burns in the face. Hard-hitting news, said Maddie Sharp, unperturbed by this outburst. Every editor of every paper, Burns' voice rattled the glass in his office door, making his own name, painted on it in gold, vibrate in sympathy. Every journalist of every editor of every paper thinks this is a front-page story except the one hack who broke it in the first place. It's over and you know it, said Maddy. This is pure publicity, the desperate puffery of a man who can see Christmas approaching and with it the end of his face on the front page. It's all just puff. Puff! Burns gathered up the papers and threw them into the air over his head so that they flapped heavily down around him like shot birds. A whole building he's making of puff. A father of puff for a lost orphan. A Christmas of puff. Sure it is, said Maddy, and I'll prove it to you. Oh, don't feel you need to do any work, said Burns. You wouldn't want to do anything that might make me happy. Now, we both know neither of us want that, said Maddy on her way out of the door. Though I must admit, I'm curious to see what it might look like. The door closed behind her, and Burns smiled a secret smile to himself, then inhaled, ready to shout as the door opened again. And just in case you were congratulating yourself on your reverse psychology working, said Maddy, I was looking into it already. And she was gone. And where she was gone to were the council offices. City Hall was up in the old town where it had always been, but it was a soot-blackened, crenellated thing that looked like the sort of grim fortress in which princesses were locked up. Children ran past it, holding their breath, and no one wanted to work in it, so the main council offices were in the new town, in one of those sepulchral mausoleums like the post office. But those weren't where Maddy was going. Way down at the bottom of the hill, down by the docks on the river, a new business district was starting to sprout up, and among the new buildings was a featureless, gleaming white block of council offices. For many council officials, being sent to this new building was like being sent into exile in some remote border town, constantly besieged by the pirates from the harbour, far away from the civilised buildings of the new town, or the haunted antiquity of the old. But for some, this new development was a vision of the future, a whole new idea of what the city could be. And one of those people was Councillor Marion Crimble. And it was Crimble that Maddy was on her way to see. 
Part of what Crimble liked about the new offices, Maddy suspected, is that few journalists ever bothered making their way all the way down there. And so he could get on with whatever he was getting on with, without anyone noticing or interfering. But be an office ever so new and removed, there was no place that Maddie Sharp couldn't get into if she wanted to, and the great advantage of huge anonymous offices like this was that once you were in and wandering the corridors, everyone just assumed you were supposed to be there. Crimble was not such an enemy of tradition, it transpired, that he was going to refuse a corner office at the top of the building. Maddie trudged up echoing staircases that smelled of new paint and wandered down long, lino-laid corridors, poking her nose into open doors, just out of a sense of professional obligation. Finally, she found a tiny, rattling lift and took a ride up to the top floor with a young man who, despite the cramped conditions, managed not to notice her at all. She wasn't sure whether to feel slighted or smug. The floors up here were carpeted and there was a muffled air of restraint, Somewhere someone spoke in a low tone, and a door opened and quickly closed, embarrassed by the sound of typing that banged out. Through a window at the far end of the corridor, the river glittered in the cold sun, winding away under the dramatic spans of the bridge. Maddie was just considering her next move when a door opened at the other end of the corridor, and Crimble's voice said clearly, "'Keep me informed. Everything. Understand?' Maddie turned and was delighted to be presented with the sight of the unflappable Councillor Crimble flapped. He saw Maddie and stopped, and for a brief happy moment she thought he was going to jump back in the office and hide. The reason for this reaction was the man coming out of the office in front of the Councillor, a mournful middle-aged man with a scrubby beard holding a shapeless hat in his hand like an apology, a man whose photograph had been on the front page of every one of those newspapers Burns had been throwing around his office. "'Mr. McNulty,' said Maddy cheerfully. "'Councillor Crimble, how convenient!' Crimble put a hand on McNulty's arm, pulling him back slightly behind him and stepped forward into the corridor. "'Miss Sharp, isn't it?' said Crimble, collecting himself. "'Of the Argus. Convenient indeed.' Councillor Crimble might not have liked to be looked over, but he also did not like to be overlooked. He was not afraid of a front page himself. In fact, he knew it to be a requisite of his career. Most convenient, he said. Like a story, Miss Sharp? A good one? Even a bad one, said Maddie. There were big arched windows on two sides of Crimble's office. One looked downstream over the river. From up here the water looked almost blue, fading into the far purple mountains at the edge of the sea. Maddy felt it was significant that he had placed his desk in front of the other window, which looked out over the city. Below them the small streets straggled up the hill towards the new town, above which towered the crag of the old town, dark in the distance. In order to frame himself against the city, he had to turn his back on it. What he turned his face to, she noticed, was a big glass-fronted cabinet against the wall opposite the window. It was full of trophies and medals, and Maddy knew without looking that every one of them, would have the councillor's name on. Crimble trotted round his desk to where he felt more safely in command of the room and waved Maddie and McNulty into chairs. McNulty has a story, he said. He told it to me. You should hear it about the elf servant. Maddie smiled and nodded and did not say anything, and McNulty waded into the silence. I, uh, I ain't the girl's father, he said. Maddy raised an eyebrow. Uh, leastways, I don't think so, he said. Uh, not that I know of. 
attack of conscience, McNulty, said Crimble, trying to grasp control of the conversation. Ah, I'm awful sorry, said McNulty, turning his hat over convulsively. Attack of conscience, said Crimble. Came to me to confess. Maddy looked concerned. He has defrauded the elf service, said Crimble. Ah, I'm awful sorry, said McNulty, apparently for lack of anything more useful to say. He has misrepresented himself, said Crimble. Maddy suspected that an accurate representation of Mr. McNulty would not be terribly flattering. Jefferson of the Elf Service has claimed this man is the father of an orphan child, said Crimble, seeing that McNulty had no more to offer. He is not. He is a con man. He is known to the police as such, I believe. I paid my dues, said McNulty. And he has admitted his guilt to me, said Crimble, and then added with an air of magnanimous dignity, The city shall not press charges. Not going to press charges, said Maddy, just going to ruin a little girl's Christmas. Not the city, said Crimble. Jefferson of the Elf Service. Not McNulty, said Maddy. Oh, I'm awful sorry, said McNulty. Not McNulty, said Crimble. Jefferson, an amateur. City is full of criminals, con men, with an eye to the main chance. Give them an inch and they will take the mile. Jefferson has given them that inch. Not professional, not at all. Whole project is open to exploitation, corruption too. This needs to be taken seriously. Was there anything that Crimble didn't take seriously? Maddy wondered. I'm awful, said McNulty, but Maddy cut him off. Don't apologize to me, she said. Apologize to that little girl again. Walter Burns was, as Maddy had expected, not happy. Pull the wool over our eyes. He brandished the newspaper with a picture of Jefferson at her. My eyes. Me, editor of the Argus. I put him on the front page, and how does he repay me? By getting conned, said Maddy. By conning the whole city, said Burns. Nuts, said Maddy. Nuts, said Burns. Nuts, she said again. Look, much as it pains me to say it, Crimble is right. This city is full of shysters and fast talkers. It's hardly a secret. Hell, we're even proud of it. Half of the reason that Jefferson's on the front page is that he's managed to talk himself there. We like a man on the make. He's making fools of us, said Burns. He's being made a fool of said Maddy. It was bound to happen. His whole scheme depends on the goodwill of others, and the moment you start depending on goodwill, somebody bad will make good on it. When did you get so cynical? said Burns. Since I started working for you, said Maddy. So I taught you something, huh? said Burns. You taught me to be cynical about everything you say, said Maddy, including that. Listen, let me talk to Jefferson before you publish. Let's get his side of the story. When did you get so big-hearted? said Burns. Since I had to sit in a room and listen to Crimble gloat, she said. I might think he's right, but I don't think he's okay. I've said it before and I'll say it again. He's a pill. He's never liked Jefferson from the start. Doesn't like his organisation. Doesn't like his popularity. Doesn't like him. He's been looking for a way to get to him the whole time and he thinks he's found it. I'd like to not give him the satisfaction if I can. If you can find a way to disappoint Marion Crimble, said Burns, I'd be a very happy man. I thought we'd agreed that we didn't want that, said Maddy, on the way out of the door.
You have been listening to The Elf Service, a story for Christmas in 24 daily episodes. Read by John Millington and written and produced by Tobias Sturt. The music is Santa Claus is Coming to Town by Riley Farley and their orchestra from the Internet Archive at archive.org. Our illustrations are by Jamie Lemon, and you can see more of his work at jamielemon.com. This podcast is distributed by Acast, and you can find all of our stories there or on our website, christmasstories.co.uk, where you can also sign up for our newsletter. But wherever you found us, if you like what we do, please rate and review it, and share with someone if you think they'd like it too. More importantly though, make sure you're here for the next episode of The Elf Service.